San Francisco backgrounds um, to give you a bit of an update um, of our adventures in the city at GDC. Before we kick off some intros, I'm Nico. You probably know me if you listen to this. We have Seb. Sebastian, have, have you been in the future of gaming before? Yeah, once or twice, but I'm Sebastian. I'm a venture partner at Bitcraft. I focus on the intersection of consumer and gaming, and I'm the co-founder of Infinite Canvas, which is a user-generated studio publisher on platforms like Roblox, Fortnite Creative, and other places. Amazing. Yep. Um, yeah, I've never been on this podcast. Thanks for having me. Welcome, um, man. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm Brian. I am a VP of product at Pocket Gems. We're a mobile game studio here in San Francisco, founded in 2009. Uh, made Episode. Um, you've probably heard it if you've heard of it. Uh, War Dragons. Um, I've done everything from sort of you know prototyping, concepting, launching. Uh, yeah, happy to be here. All right, let's talk about it. So, GDC, your first day. Yeah. Uh, I was I was telling you this when we were coming up uh, upstairs, which I feel like the vibe that I get coming out of GDC is like we're on the precipice of a lot of things sort of unfolding over the next few years. Sort of, you know, talk to people about generative AI and how it's going to be integrated in all the workflows and all of like our daily lives and you know professional lives. Uh, and then obviously all of the Web three stuff is still going, but everyone's sort of like waiting to see if we can actually make something interesting out of it. Um, you know, lots of traditional game companies, you guys would know more about that, you know, that are, that have gotten funding in the last few years. We're starting to actually play some of the demos games are coming out. Um, you know, and all of this is sort of in light of like the overall macroeconomic backdrop. So I'm just sort of, I don't know that, that's the, that's the sense I get. I'm like, Oh, I kind of want to see what's going to happen over the next few years. I think a lot of things are going to change. Mm-hmm. How, how about you guys? Uh, I mean, it's interesting because it's certainly a very different vibe than last year. Last year was far more announcement of announcements. It was like, hey, we're going to announce that we're going to announce something in the next few months. <laughs> Whereas I feel this year was a lot of actually hands-on demos and being able to see it, which is both exciting and disappointing. I've certainly played my share of games where I was incredibly excited about what they were building and some that was like, what were you guys doing the last 12 months, burning all this money? Were you guys working on anything of importance? I, I do think it's a sea change for sure. It's going to be interesting to see where we go from here. It feels very much like the first time we transitioned into mobile. Mobile was this like outsider looking in and trying to break into the hegemony of PC and console. And that was what it felt like probably a decade, maybe 12, 13 years ago now. Yeah. And it feels like it's that change again. Mm. So I spent 20 minutes on the floor in the expo hall, and it felt like I was at NFT NYC. Really? Because it was just crypto everywhere, like Avalanche and... and um, you, you do know. have to book your booth and yeah. pay for it in advance, like, really early. Okay, so, again, a non-refundable deposit. Exactly. Just like, like NFT NYC. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, yeah. NFT NYC, there was a... Um, mythical party that must have cost two to three million dollars and it was just after terra and mm-hmm. luna um so yeah it was uh it was a uh, mixed feelings uh, at that event yeah i, I mean i was curious because i didn't go to the expo this year but i remember like last year like there was a lot there's so much crypto presence mm. also and there was like a backlash of a lot of people at gdc like did you did it feel like that still like um hard to say for me it, it for me it seems like so 
the general public's excitement around blockchain and games feels like it's often correlated with the price of Bitcoin. So, you know, as the price goes up, people are like, oh my shit, oh, oh my God, I can start earning money by playing these games and everything's going up and I can mm -hmm. buy gaming NFTs and the price goes up. This is amazing. Um, and then when the price goes down, you know, everything follows and uh, people are not that excited anymore. But for builders, actual developers, it seems like it's actually the inverse. Where if if everything's going well, if this uh, if it's a crypto bull market and you decide, okay, or, or you announce that you're going to be using Web3, everyone's like, oh, they're just chasing Web3, they're jumping on the hype train, just looking to make some quick money or, or easily fundraise. Um, while if today you're announcing that you're going to be using Web3, it's clear that it's because you believe in the technology. Or... Hear me out. Okay. Some, some some large companies have really long decision cycles. <laughs> they, so they're just getting around to announcing and making decisions based on information from 2021. Yeah, it's like you booked your booth for GDC. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> yeah. I I haven't had the luxury or the ability to go on the expo floor. I do think that this GDC, to Brian's point, had a volume of announcements of like exciting things i haven't seen in years like even last year with web3 there just wasn't the ex announcement of cs2 the unreal announcements the there's a p yeah like that was i think super cool and even on the web3 side we finally start seeing the i mean the better game developers and the better people who are making game loops that aren't mmos 12 months is about the amount of time you need to start having good sense of what the game looks like and so that's been a lot of fun to see but it is the thing that was really jarring to me on the expo floor, uh, or not the expo floor, but you know the the hotel lobby mm -hmm. play test mm -hmm. was just people seem to be really obsessed with fidelity in a way that is just not going to work for them. Mm. And what I mean by this is CS two announced CS two space on Source two. <laughs> Source two is from twenty twelve. So basically every computer, I mean, like, that's one way to look at it, but yeah. every computer can run mm -hmm. Source 2 at this yeah. point in the world, right? And so CS2 is going to be playable across the entire globe. Some of these demos I saw that were built on the most recent version of Unreal 5 will now run on my 3080. Mm -hmm. And we need like a 4090 to be able to run these things. And it's fine for the demo. It's fine for them showcasing it. But I am probably a power user. And there's no way my computer's going to be able to run it properly. How the absolute hell are they going to be able to mass market any of these games? Like, is that even the intent? Are you just trying to do it as a tech demo? Like, what's the point of having effectively John Wick 4 levels of graphical fidelity if it only runs on your specific 4090? You're saying you're seeing that across like oh, all, all, all like the web games, tradition, even Web three games too, or mostly Web three games. Mostly Web three games. Like that, that I saw a lot of games in general across the board. I saw mm. that way. It's super, super weird. It is. It is interesting and weird. And I'll just throw one example out. That's that's contrasting your your um, your points. Um, I've been looking at a, a company called Zula. Um, shout out to Ilker. He was there at the Fogdao. He's also part of the Fogdao, and mm -hmm. his game is. He's built a first-person shooter game that is specifically built for, like, the lowest of low-end devices. And he's been killing it. Like, he has, like, I think a million uh, MAUs or something. Or, or, That's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Nice. Um, it's doing well. And, and so, yeah, it, it seems like, um, and I haven't seen a lot of companies do this, mm -hmm. focusing on the lower-end devices yeah. to, you know, tackle emerging markets. Um, I underestimated. So I always thought that 
a game like Counter Strike was already, as you said, right, based on the Source Engine that's already like a decade old, and was already like the uh, the eighty percent of computers or like ninety percent of computers could run it. Yep. But apparently, there's a there seems to be big demand for things that are like even more accessible. Oh yeah, especially as you. I mean, it depends on like what you're, what metrics you're trying to hit. If you're trying to do ArcDAO as a combination of DAO metrics, then like there's a lot to unpack there. Mm-hmm. But but certainly, it's really cool to see games of both spectrums, I suppose. And I think to Brian's point again on the sea change, we're seeing that start to come up, and that's really weird because it makes sense for Web three games. Right? Mm-hmm. If you only have ten thousand MAU and mm-hmm. they all have forty nineties, and you're only targeting... they're, mining, they're mining cryptocurrency anyway. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> might as well build games for that audience that are like already working on their stuff. Yeah. Whereas if the whereas last year I think there was a lot more of a hey this is going to be accessible to everyone. Let's yeah. be more generalized. What that's the idea. So that's that's been a little bit weird that way to watch. Mm-hmm. Another reason why I kind of disagree with that strategy is, first of all, like it feels like still most of the games or almost all of these games that are using these insane graphics are still saying like, oh, we're building AAA style yeah. games or quality games for the mass audience because we're going to be the one that brings yeah, the yeah. first 100 million into this Web3 gaming space. Um, and in addition, like, you know, I spent probably, you know, half of my waking time thinking about what we, Web3 brings to games and... Graphical fidelity is is almost never like a part of that. It's like I'm thinking about you know it should be unique experiences like gameplay. Um, you should be able to do like multiple things with your um, with your NFTs or fungible tokens. It should be maybe an open economy. There's a bunch of different ways this can work, um, but putting so much time and effort into optimizing for graphical fidelity feels like you're fighting a, the wrong battle. Yeah, I mean, I think people are doing it partly because, you know, there's this whole thesis that's unimproven so far, which is, oh, if we just make a, a, a good game in Web3, mm-hmm. then people will come in. And I, I think maybe incorrectly, some people at least associate graphical fidelity with good game. Um, so it's a bet. We'll see. Yeah. But I, actually, I'm curious, like, even the non-Web3 games, there, there's a bunch of super high graphical fidelity stuff that people are working on, right? Because a lot of, like, X-Riot, X-Blizzard teams, mm-hmm. like, they're mm-hmm. trying to make AAA games, AAA, RTS, whatever yep. it is. Um, like, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, is it the same, same issues? Like those are, those also have some, some problems, right? Like web three aside. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. The best reason to use unreal fives max specs, in my opinion, is if you think you're gonna have a 10 year dev cycle, Mm. (laughs) because then Mm. like you could start now and by 2032, 2033, like hopefully computers will have caught up, (laughs) right? Like maybe that's the argument. Uh, I'm really biased, right? I, I actually don't believe generally in the AAA thesis that most people approach it with unless they're specific Korean or Chinese companies that do those, like, 100-hour work weeks. Like, yeah, like, those guys, like, they kill it at that. Mm. And, and like, they, I heard one company tell me that they have figured out an optimization where they get stuff done in four years instead of six. And I was like, is the solution working 120 hours yeah, yeah, yeah. instead of 80 hours a week? Yeah. <laughs> and the answer was yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like, we do see that Delta at times. I don't know other than, especially in times of uncertainty, you want to put your best foot forward. And one way to do that is like, you know, you can like build a really cool looking demo, you know, you can create something that's going like make people's like mouths draw. Right, we saw this on Roblox. Roblox has been pushing and doing a lot of press around this like cool FPS on their platform. Yeah. 
that appeal doesn't work on mobile very well. Mobile is like more than 50% of their audience. But from a pure acquisition and interest level thing, they're like, wow, this engine can do blank. Mm. When in reality, a lot of people are like, well, yeah, it can only do blank on your computer. It can't really do blank on a seven-year-old iPhone. And what are we designing towards? I mean, I think one of the coolest things I remember about War Dragons back when you guys were working on it at Pocket Gems, or I guess they're still working on yeah, it, was yeah. that it was like really pushing the upper limit yeah. of like mobile, 3D. of yeah. 3D on mobile, yeah. right? Like, but wasn't most of that just like an optimization problem at the time? You mean in terms of like... How to get on more devices like the Samsung Galaxy S3 and 5? I mean, we were forced to, you know, in order to actually market it you know, as right. as possible. Yeah, definitely, yeah. So that was the hardest part, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, optimize, especially for Android, because like the, you know, sort of, variety of devices like there's much you know, higher end and, and the lower end is lower on android right. so yeah there's a ton of work <laughs> what is um you mentioned generative ai earlier yeah what have you been seeing buzzword oh. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or and what are you excited about what are you critical about i i don't know that i've seen anything specific to games that are using it you know or that are, that are pitching okay here's how we're going to use it in the game specifically i think i we I, Definitely, I'm seeing a lot of it in terms of like how can we be more productive, right? Just mm. professionally, um, like we're we're actually using like one of our art director at Pocket Gems is using it, I mean, is using Midjourney for doing concepting for sort of some, you know the next season of Dragons, um, and it you know it doesn't replace concept art. Uh, concept, concept artists actually doing it, but it does sort of get you to sixty percent, seventy percent fidelity, like very, very, very quickly, and at like a you know order of magnitude larger scale. So you know if you want to generate thousand hundred different variations of a bunch of dragons that are samurai themed you know you can spit, sit, send that in a bit journey and get get all of those out in five minutes versus like asking somebody to draw them and then you can have you know an artist take it you know to the mm. final level to actually then um, you know be produced um so you know stuff like that um you know i think uh yeah we're gonna just see more and more of that that's dope i, I i've seen some companies pitching on the not the expo floor, but the hotel floor. You know, like how like the real conference is just in all the different hotel yeah. floors. I've seen people pitch what effectively are like rapper companies. Like they're not actually building the core tech. The core tech is just like open AI. Mm. Oh, but they're absolutely. like yeah, they're just like GUIs yeah. on top of it and they're pitching this idea to yeah. people. And it's been really interesting. Like I've been really fortunate that I have some friends who have been in uh, reinforcement learning and LLM for the last decade or so. And so I've had a good grounding in what the technology could be. But it's just really funny and sort of magical to see when people don't do this. This is what happened last year, right, with Web3, where it was like sufficiently advanced technology feels like magic, <laughs> right? And so like last year, the magic was Web3. It's like, mm -hmm. hey, we take these games with like low cap, like low LTV and high cap cost. Magic. And like we magic web three and then now is a workable hundred million dollar game. Right? <laughs> and and like this year it feels a lot like in a similar vein. <laughs> in a similar vein, it's like, oh like we take this idea that's like a tooling thing that most game companies and publishers are not going to pay for because they're, everyone's cheap as hell. But we like wrap in magic and now it's like a real yeah. tool that can be venture backed. Mm. I do <laughs> I, I do think that, like, even if, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's not great, but I think uh, there is, like, probably a ton of work and a ton of businesses just productizing, like, OpenAI. Yeah. You know, I think that the rapper company is, like, a real phenomenon. I think, like, even if OpenAI 
just stopped and was like static exactly where it was like we could probably spend years just building products that actually like make it easy for people to use it's so awesome i mean yeah. we we definitely use it in our game flow where we use we've replaced some qa people this way where instead of having a pm or junior pm like r- listen to qa and then take notes and then like write cards for jira we now have fireflies or otter ingest make transcripts and take the transcripts and put in the gpt4 mm-hmm. and be like hey print out five of the top things that are discussed to like be made into cards it works really well mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> like, this is, actually this reminds me one of the things i was going to say because you know, we were coming up here we were chatting we hadn't actually started recording yet and i was thinking like there will be a moment in the future when the, uh, the notion of like oh let's get together and then start recording the podcast like that won't be a thing it's just because you'll always everything will be recorded and then you'll be like okay like have an ai go and like pull out the interesting things like mm-hmm. cut together a podcast for me you know automatically like uh, you know, in, certainly in the near future, every single sort of Google Meet or Zoom meeting you go to will be automatically transcribed and summarized by an, like that's definitely going to happen very mm-hmm. soon. Um, oh, I mean, it's already happening. There are definitely sometimes it's really nice to skip like a meeting and you see the transcript because you can get the response to the transcript in five minutes, yeah, as opposed to spending an hour like listening, listening sitting to, there, yeah, being like, yeah. what are people talking about? Yeah. What are they arguing about, Nico? <laughs> yeah. What are they arguing about? Dude, even without transcripts, like being able to put that at like 1.5 or 1.75 yeah. speed, oh, life yeah. changer. I mean, you also stretch during it, right? Also, you, 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 do, you do CrossFit during meetings. Wait, so. what? <laughs> like he, he, he turns up his camera. It's like a big secret. No one knows about this. But now, the now, time, now they do. Now, now they know. You know, you know what I actually do more often during meetings? I'm just cooking. Just like really? cutting vegetables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just walk around with my laptop. Yeah. So that's what I tend to do. Um... Look, as far as as much as I'm a you know I'm I'm a crypto native more than a games native, and I I strongly believe in this the Web three tech stack and how we can positively impact the future of games. I do feel like that is probably nothing compared to everything that AI is going to touch when it comes to games. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned you know the pipeline and and the, the process of building a game. Um, you know, I'm 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 all, uh, like I'm even thinking about you know what this means for like within games. Yeah. Um, and and what are the like the exciting opportunities are when when you have the cheap AI that you can put in, inside of games? I was talking to Brian about this, where historically you deprecate games because the live op costs outrun the revenue being generated by existing people. Mm-hmm. In a theoretical world where that never happens, you could have a library of games where. There's content made for like the four people who still play the game, but not for anyone else. Yeah. And this is sort of the, uh, there's a great game called Outside the Lines that has that type of play. And it's just like fanatical development by people. It's going to be interesting to see how we see that implementation happen. Where it's like, hey, what happens when we now have games that can be developed that have infinite content? I got to a fair, like I, I sped run through New World. Um, the MMO mm-hmm. got to level sixty, I think was the cap, mm. and there was no end game content. I'm mm. like, what the hell? So I churned, yeah, very quickly. It was probably should have been playing to begin with. So I was like, okay, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Right? You're you in theory should not have that problem, and I think it's really interesting. Similar to how some of the heuristics around the 2010s didn't apply to the 2010s. The heuristics that we have today in 2023 about that we've built over this last decade of working in gaming probably won't apply to some of these new things coming out, which is always awesome, right? Yeah. Like the, the heuristic around having shelf space at Best Buy, like that being the most important distribution thing that you need a publisher 
who has that shelf space. That was a common knowledge thing that GDC was about. Mm-hmm. You're coming here to pitch the publisher to get shelf space to get yeah. shelf space at Best Buy. Like that's what this conference was initially in a lot of ways. Then Steam and app stores and whatnot, and like that's no longer. No one even thinks about that. Like who who uses a publisher in some ways? Yeah. We'll see what what this changes. It might just be that people are like, well, of course you have infinite content. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean you don't have infinite assets <laughs> to customization? That's it's insane. What do you guys think? Assuming that AI develops in such a way that we can literally create a game with a prompt, mm-hmm. any type of game. So it fully commoditizes the actual game development process. What does that world look like? I, I think that, and this is um, not just true for gaming, I think it's true for any of this. I, I don't think, at least, I don't think that the AIs will sort of replace all creative and design and sort of directorial jobs. Like I think you still need an editor, you still need somebody to like who has taste to ask, you know, to generate the prompt in the first place, to sort of review all the outputs that are coming out of it. It's just that the, you know, whereas today you may ask a bunch of people to do a bunch of work, like researching, putting together mocks, you know, doing all this sort of, um, you know, creating inputs for you that to, to then like look at and decide or review, um, the AI will just make that much more efficient and be able to do it much faster or, you know, enable people to do it faster. Um, but it's not going to take away the sort of human element of, of decision-making, at least for now, you know, maybe ask me again when the singularity hits and then, mm. just, I don't know, but that's my take. Gen AI and GAI are different. Yeah. Like that's a huge branding issue where like people think Gen AI is generalized AI and it's not, it's G like GAI is generalized AI. Gen AI is generative AI. What's interesting is, at least to me, what's really cool that we've seen historically is that I've never met a junior PM who enjoys listening to user feedback and testing. Like the act of doing so is painful. And so having a, having like a GPT type system translate that is going to be super useful for them. Here's the flip side though. Like Brian, do you think you develop taste by being in those meetings? Like, like is our taste formed by subjecting ourselves to these oh, to watching user testing yeah videos. like seeing that yeah, absolutely. i think so yeah there's some element of like yeah you have to you have to you know pay the tuition somehow you have to like go through that a little bit right yeah, i think so and so if that's the case and i'm really curious to your points like hey what happens when someone yeah. replaces everything maybe that's actually not conducive to the growth of people yeah like i remember when i was working on the android version of dots just like the sheer pain of millisecond sound differences between the closing of the loop and the sound happening on Android and being in the office at 11 p.m. in, like, a bit of crunch, being like, what the hell is wrong with this thing? And, like, I remember hard coding a second delay, <laughs> like, a delay into the code to, like, get to work on that device and next morning realizing every Android device was different and so it would have to actually solve the problem, what? right? I know, right? Yeah. And, and I remember that distinctly because that taught me a lot about hard coding solutions and i was like oh wow i'm never gonna do that again but i wonder actively to your point it may be that we're not able to generate taste unless we go through those experiences Mm -hmm. if that's the case then in a lot of ways despite having these shortcuts we're going to talk about hey you could always use photoshop to draw color but one way to get better at understanding color theory is to paint by hand right and see Mm -hmm. the colors mix on a palette in order to do it. And that teaches you the theory that allows you to then leverage Photoshop. 
And perhaps it's going to be similar in Gen AI. Okay, counter-argument playing the devil's advocate here. Um, isn't taste inferior to data? By which I mean that, right, you, 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 by talking to mm. people, you learn things. But if you can infinitely generate and super fast iterate and you can, like, you know... Just um, actually put it out there. Just put it out yeah. there and just, like, have, like, millions of, of small A-B tests and in and, and that way actually, like, decide what the hell taste is. It's an interesting question. Yeah. I, I don't know the answer is the answer. Like, I don't yeah. know. I've tried that and it hasn't worked, but that might just be a limitation of the number of categories I was taste, uh, mm -hmm. testing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we've tried to balance games with data a lot. And it's really hard because, like, it's just, you, like, it's one of those things where you do it and you play and you're like, this is not fun. Mm. And everyone says, no, this is clearly not fun. Mm. Any human who had seen this would have been like, this is not fun. Yeah. But, like, the data is like, well, that's what's supposed to happen, yeah, right? Yeah. And, like, that yeah. just might be, that might be a limitation of yeah. the model. Or it could also be a limitation of the inputs we're giving you. Also, I do think there is some sort of, even, you know, we, we test things all the time, we look at data, but, like, we also have some intuition. There's some sort of Bayesian reasoning about the data, because mm -hmm. sometimes your data is wrong, your logging is broken in some way, your data is wrong, and then the AI won't know that, and so it's just going to be like, oh, here's the data, mm -hmm. it's going to keep going in this direction, but, you know, as a, a human, you're sort of like, wait, that doesn't make any sense, like, why, how could this, po how could this version possibly be better, <laughs> you know? Gen AI right now can write code, like, ChatGPT yeah. for, GPT-4 in particular can write really good code, but I highly recommend people who are computer science backgrounded read the code, because <laughs> yeah. it will work, it may not work the way you want it to. And if you have a computer science degree or a background, you can read the code base and be like, oh, wait, okay, here's something that's wrong about this. Uh, but like, you wouldn't notice that if you were ignorant to that. And it may manifest in the future in some type of race condition, yeah. right? It might manifest in the future to some type of bug that's undebuggable because you no longer have it. Uh, I This is sort of a related but funny story, which is my... Um, our, our head of engineering is a guy named Bruce Hill, who worked on The Sims for like a decade plus ago. And he was telling me that he went to a talk and met some of the new, younger 20-something employees working in The Sims 4. And they're like, oh, you're B. Hill. We call you the ancients. <laughs> like, we, your code base is the structure in which we like build the new things on. And we don't touch it. Like, it's like, it's something that we don't understand because we didn't write it. Like Moses brought it down. Yeah. Tablets. It's, yeah. <laughs> like, it's the basis. First of all, it makes it feel old, but just hilarious. Mm -hmm. But but I think the second point, which is, if it's him having written the code, he can then make changes and make adjustments because he understands the philosophical backing of it. One of the biggest concerns that, to your counter argument about what data helps, like, if you don't know what you're inputting and outputting, if you... And LLMs, by definition, and reinforcement learning, by definition, you're not supposed to know yeah. what goes in the black box mm -hmm. and comes out. Mm -hmm. It is hard to debug. Mm -hmm. It is hard to debug. It's hard to make changes. And inevitably, you come up with a situation. You're like, ah, oh, this is code by the ancients. Why did you do it that way? Uh, you know, honestly, I was just really bored that day. That'd be interesting to have, like, like incredibly strict typesetting for this. For, like, one thing. Yeah. Um... Yeah, let's see. I feel like from what I've noticed, I didn't see that many AI companies on the floor yeah. uh, at GDC. Well, they had a book and event yeah. next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, that's a pure, that's, that's actually a great example of data failing as an aside. Like, I'm not saying that your data is bad, mm -hmm. but like, if you were to judge 
Gen AI's penetration at this event purely based on number of booths, where the booth deadline was back in like what, March, March of last year. Yeah. <laughs> then your conclusion would be like, oh, oh Web three like must be have just hit the speed of twenty three, and like and. And I think that's one of the like weaknesses of a lot of these data models. It's like, yeah, like you know, because you are an investor in the space and you're seeing the outputs. But if you were to jump, go purely based on that, you would be like, oh wow, yeah. it's all Web three. Mm-hmm. I do think this gets influenced by like broader market dynamics surrounds VC today. Uh, holy moly, where where do you want to start? Do you want to start with treasuries? Do you want to start with SVB? Let's start with SVB. I don't think we actually discussed that yet. Oh, you haven't discussed SVB on the podcast yet? Yeah, not yet. Uh, see, I'm I'm still waiting for my chat GPT to ingest the previous episodes and send me the, yeah. send me the write-up. You can't be bothered to listen to them. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, the impact is pretty large. We'll, we're going, I think startups are going to be hurt the most. Like, It's probably too early for them to realize, but, you know... One thing that people who are both like even like people who are VCs but too junior to see the process don't know is when you write a term sheet, money has to be wired from one account to another. But most VCs don't keep 100% of their fund in a bank account. They do capital calls, right? So we pull the money in. Um, Great advice to founders is like the money's not yours until it hits your bank account. And so as a result, like the meta nowadays is like we wire immediately as soon as we sign the term sheet, right? Who do you think was providing that liquidity, right? It was actually like SVB. Like SVB was like the lender of first resort who recognized that you have capital commitments and that could like bridge that along. Cost of capital is going to go up and the implementation is going to be pretty massive. Like you may see a lot of companies failing because there's zero rate, zero interest rate phenomenon or phenomena, I suppose. Mm -hmm. I don't know, I defer to you guys on this. You're the, you're the VCs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm an interested observer, but... <laughs> mm, good. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm always... I'm, I'm curious to understand, and I, I and I don't think we've ever seen this, but a truly adversive funding climate, how much that impacts the like the, the, the innovation at the seed round level that people are raising for. Um, it typically doesn't affect seed rounds. Yeah, my, yes, my semester was like, seed is fine. Mm. Yeah. Seed is generally fine because Seed has still the rec- like if you have to beat 6% treasuries in terms of return profile, Seed bets will. Not all of them, but the ones that do will definitely beat yeah. that, right? And so Seed bets are typically fine. Mm-hmm. I think it's a function of down round things and, and downstream effects, right? Like if you showcase an Unreal 5 game this past week, are you going to be able to raise against that? Well, metric-wise, you have none, so probably not. That's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. I What I think is also interesting, just in the entire financial bit, is like, like what is going to happen with Web3 gaming, right? If we don't have 100 million users like that people are asking for, like, what is the use case? Like, Brian, do you have an, have you seen anything that's interesting? Actually, I was, I was going to ask you guys, because I feel like, uh, you know, I have a bunch of friends. I, I'm a Web3 believer also. Um, but I've been asking people at GDC this year, like, okay, look, I, I get the, you know, true digital ownership. Like I, I get, I get those arguments for it, but what, like, are there other like sort of gen, you know, genuinely unique, uh, use cases that web three is providing? Um, and I, as a sort of like long-term believer, I, I, I can sort of picture that in the future there will be something, we're definitely going to find something, but I, I like struggle to sort of like connect the dots all the way there, and it's it's almost like it's like a faith based argument that we're we're gonna figure something out. 
But that's weird because Brian, you're the one who like put me on toward the idea of targeting, right? That this yeah, is like... that's that's true. That is one thing that I do. I I do think user acquisition um, is 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 interesting and like a unique thing you can do in Web three, like in the sense that. You know, let's say you wanted to build an, a new MMO, you want to go target people who are like really, really into WoW or into RuneScape or whatever. You, you can't really do that, right? Like, you can't go to Blizzard and say, like, please give me like the email addresses <laughs> of the of, the, of your best players, right? But on Web three, like, I can look on chain. I can say, okay, like this person has spent a lot of money in Axie, or this person has like a board ape, and those are people that we would want to play our game. And if they've come, you know, we'll give you some assets or map your assets to our existing, you know, to, to our items, so that you have a head start, right? So. I think the user acquisition angle is, is quite interesting and, and actually genuinely unique. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, like, if you've seen any other or heard of any other sort of, you know, like, truly unique uses for it. For what it's worth, like, that's like an M plus one thing, what you just described, where it's like, I would imagine most people haven't thought about that. <laughs> right? Like, that's, but that is huge. That's a pretty good one. Yeah. And we were talking about this early, Nico, about how we're going to see, like, guild versus guild combat at some point. Right? There is some really interesting mechanics there. The new thing I've been thinking about recently is I've always bashed the idea of making games for a small number of people. Mm. The idea of like a hundred person or a thousand person game in my heuristical world makes no sense. Like why the hell would I ever spend my time and my company's time making a game that only 2000 people will yeah. ever play? But the flip side is here's an industry and space where you could actually like the best game to make is the spine space for like 2,000 people. Yeah, yeah. Like, how does that change how we think about games? I actually have not done this mental exercise, so I don't have an answer. But there are a lot of things that may only work for small groups of people. Yeah, that's true. That, that is plausible that that, that could unlock, um, you know, more, a, a bigger diversity of games. And same like, you know, Netflix, like there's like, they can make a, a many, many more shows because they can sort of target exactly, mm-hmm. like, you know, who it's for. Like, yeah, it's possible. Um, I think we're all waiting to see. I think we believe, this is kind of what I was getting at with the whole precipice thing. Like we're going to start finding out. But, uh, you know, we're waiting to see whether or not the LTV, LTV curves really will be different for these Web3 games. Like, I think everyone's sort of thinking, okay, well, you know, look, you can spend more than $100 at a time via IAP or $1,000 at a time, right? You can go and click, I would like to spend $20,000 on this monkey JPEG, right? So will that actually change the LTV curves? And then does that then translate to, you know, your ability to go into Web2 marketing and say, okay, actually, my LTV is way higher. I can go I can go outbid all these mid-core games or whatever. Maybe, but we don't know. <laughs> but by the way, Brian, you, I think you touched upon another really big... Like, it's funny because you have this base assumption that everyone <laughs> understands it's about <laughs> blockchain and Web3 already. But like, do you want to go into more about how, like, how hard it is to get whales to oh, pay money on mobile? Yeah, so uh, actually, um, Harlan, one of the founders of Pocket Gems, tells this story, which is like, you know, one of the top spenders in War Dragons, I don't remember how much he spent, maybe, you know, 100000 you know, a million dollars, I don't remember exactly. Huh. Um, but, uh, you know, and he, he basically called him one day, he, like, got his email and, like, messaged him and talked to him, um, and because he just wanted to understand as a customer, like, wait, how is this person like the game so much, or whatever, he just loves the game, like, loves collecting dragons, playing, um, but he spent it all, this was before Apple made the IAP changes, so he literally spent that much money, like, one you know, a single hundred dollar IAP at a time. So you just imagine like how many times you had to go through the purchase flow to do that, right? Versus you go to OpenSea, like, you know, okay, I'd like to bid mm-hmm. 50 E from mm-hmm. this monkey JPEG or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that, it's the order, you know, the amount of money you can spend uh, and the speed at which you can spend it is, is dramatically different, uh, which could make a difference. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a huge difference yeah. in poker, for example, mm-hmm. right? Like, if you think about how funding accounts work in poker websites, it's very hard to move 50 grand. 
And so the player liquidity for like $1, $2 games where people are playing $200 at a time is very high. But it is hard finding action or people to play against at 500000 because no one just has $100,000. Like, it's just really hard for, for a variety of good legal reasons, <laughs> right? Like, but to wire $100,000 or something. Whereas there are definitely, like this time last year, there were uh, there were massive poker games at GDC for the Web3 community All right. where mm. hundreds of thousands of dollars were changing hands through US, UST. Yeah. And it all went to... <laughs> Dude, yeah. yeah. Pre-Luna and Terra times, man. It was a crazy time last year. It was good, yeah. Um, and by the way, to your point, this is uh, what Gabe Layden um, mm-hmm. always talks about. For him, you know, uh, in, in the games that he was building, it's uh, Machine Zone. Like, he, he had a bunch of these whales, and, and he, know, he knew that he could get way more out of them if they didn't have to do it 100 bucks at a time. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, for me, I think, um, I think all of these... So I I spent half of my time as I said thinking about you know what what three brings to games and I think it's it's a bunch of tiny things mm. right mm. so like you know slightly higher LTVs um, I also think that what, what I'm seeing right now is is in, especially in the mobile and the more casual side is a lot of bigger mobile publishers are trying to like they're spinning out their like what three divisions and mm. and, and yeah. companies and and the idea there is to um, through ATT, they're struggling uh, keeping people or like getting new people into their ecosystem. And now through Web3, um, either like through a combination or one of the two of fungible and non-fungible tokens, the idea is, you know, if a player, you know, gets gets tired of uh, one of our casual games, then through either like an NFT or the fungible tokens that he earned by playing the game, he'll be, you know, like I have a higher inclination of going to another one of our games. Right. That's the thesis. I, I got to be honest with you, Nico. One of the reasons I like your podcast, and I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass, the one reason I like, like your podcast, it's like really easy to sound smart saying negative things. Hmm. Like saying like, I dislike Web3 mm. or I dislike Gen AI for XYZ thing. It's super easy to sound smart. What's really value capturing and interesting and harder to do is figuring out, hey, in this design space, what is something that's positive? What's something that we can make things? With the exception of like specific types of hedge fund traders who short things, the only value we capture as developers, founders, investors is finding things that work. Mm. No one ever pays me money to find things that don't work, right? Actually, well, occasionally I do do esports consulting, so people do occasionally pay me to like say tell them what doesn't work. But like for the most part, like I think what's really cool about the future of gaming podcast and what's really cool about GDC is that it's a collection of people. We're here to try to find something that works. Now, 99.9% of them will fail. That's for sure true because that's gaming. But what's really fun about this conference, about your podcast, and about all of this stuff is if anyone figures it out, that's going to be awesome. Like, it may be that the best implementation is a, is a version, is a four-player version of a Web3 game that's high fidelity, it can only run on 4090s, and people are loading hundreds of thousands of dollars a time. I'm ready. I'm ready. And like, <laughs> and like they only can interact with a game by using ChatGPT, right? Like there's, that is a possibility. Mm-hmm. It's unlikely, mm-hmm. but it's a possibility. Yeah. And I think that's so cool and, and why I come to GDC every year. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the, the kind words, uh, Seb, really. Um, and, and one of the things that I also try to, to do and stimulate is non-scremorphic thinking. Because mm-hmm. that, that's something that I, I do see quite a lot where, you know, we, we already discussed like how it 
from a at a very surface level makes sense to have you know payment rails that don't inhibit you from spending more than a hundred bucks at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the, these are like marginal improvements. Um, what I also want to encourage founders and builders to think about and, and experiment with is, you know, what's a crazy thing that no one's thinking and, and no one's doing, right? W- what does this technology like at a fundamental level unlock? People know if you, if you listen to this, like pretty much every other episode, I sh- I shill about on-chain games, right? Where the full game and state lives like on dark, the blockchain. Dark forest or, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that kind of stuff is, is something that I think is intellectually very interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think there's a very high chance that that just, for the like maybe next ten years doesn't make sense and doesn't work out, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's something that I'm I'm keeping an eye on and I'm interested in, um, and you know more and more I see companies that are doing like uh, different things yeah and I, I like to see that and you know I think um, it's always hard to predict what's going to be successful and the only way I think we're going to be proving the hardcore uh, what three haters wrong is just you know shoving a game under their nose and having them admit that oh yeah this is this is fun. Uh, you you have a strong understanding of base rates in that you are going after things that succeed maybe 1% of the time mm-hmm. instead of 0.1% of the time. And it's easy to hate on that. It's easy to hate on it because it, 99% of the time yeah. in the multiversal versions of what you're pursuing, it never works out. Yeah. But again, that is the fun of doing these things. Like we're not going to see innovation unless we see people pursuing that. Yeah. And it's really fun, especially here, like you like get Brian with his experience and you with your experience and sort of the intermeshing of that at this event. Mm-hmm. All right. So as a final question for you guys, we like to do bold predictions. So given we've now been a week at GDC, let it digest a little bit and give me a bold prediction about the next year in gaming. And and maybe you can say, like, what do you think will be hot uh, next year? Same question to you, Sip. No, I know, but do I, do I go first? Like, do you want to think they're thinking? They're thinking right. Do you want to go first? Yeah. Uh, here's a hot take. I think, and, I, and this is, I'm one, I, I do think if you have a hot take, you should put your money where your mouth is. So, like saying that you're going to bet something's going to reach some price and not backing it up with your own money is just BS in my opinion. Agreed. I think, and I'm spending more time on this platform as a result, I think we're going to see more conversations around gaming on LinkedIn. This is like one of the like weird things I've been, like I think it's replacing Twitter for like, we're going to see some really interesting hot takes on. And so I'm going to show that for a bit. I do think I'm a, I'm a big believer in LinkedIn as the future of like, gaming discourse in a way that Twitter has been for the last decade. For GDC in particular, I would bet we're going to see a lot of Gen AI boobs at GDC next year because they're buying them right now. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say this too. Is that a hot take? I don't know. I feel like my, I, I would... I would uh, it's a warm take. Yeah, well, I would agree with you on that one. <laughs> I don't think it's a very uh, hot take for me, but yeah, I'm trying to think what else. I don't know. I mean, I think trying to think whether it will happen by GDC or not. I mean, I do think we're going to hit probably, uh, like we're going to see sort of like a extinction event in a lot of, you know, game companies and web three game companies that raised money in the last few years. We're going to have to raise again. The environment's much worse. Um, whether that will happen by GDC or maybe just, you know, into GDC mm-hmm. and into the 2024, like we'll see, but I do think, yeah, that's the sort of unease I feel about the being on the precipice. Oh, I have a hot take then. You know how Reed Hoffman at Netflix said that he's not competing against Hulu, he's competing against Fortnite? Fortnite? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think next year we should be saying, uh, we're also competing against Netflix. <laughs> like, I think it goes both ways. Like, there's only so much attention. 
And insofar as people have funded all these studios, there is only so much time yeah. that people can play video games. We're going to see people who don't think they're competitors are actually competitors. Like, no one thinks that Counter-Strike 2 and Candy Crush is a competitor, but the deepest and darkest corners of attention, they're competitors. That's a hot take. I like it. I also like the LinkedIn games. I'm ready for them. I'm all for it. Well, you're okay. not saying there's going to be games on LinkedIn. Oh, there could be. Oh, there could but, be. But no, I'm saying the discourse of <laughs> the discourse gaming is going to be on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Good. All right, where, where can people find you, Brian? Uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, at B-S-H-I-H. B-S-H-I-H. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Hey, I, I literally just said we can go on LinkedIn. Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, no, no. Brian is shilling Twitter, so I'm I'm like I'm on LinkedIn at Sebastian Park, Sebastian Dash Park. <laughs> all right, we will. That's where the the all of the conversations will happen. So uh, I guess we'll meet you there. Um, so yeah, Brian, Seth, thank you so much for joining. This was great. Um, man, look at this background. We gotta go chill in the sun. Um, listener, thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed. If you did, let us know. Uh, join the Discord, futureofgaming.wtf, and um, yeah, come to GDC next year so we can look at some uh, Gen AI booths. It's going to be fun. See you next week. Ciao.